Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 1st edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court reversed a decision in an industrial death case and clarified the differences between tort and workers' compensation causation standards. Here's what happened in the case of South Coast Framing versus WCAB. In September 2008, Brandon Clark fell 8 to 10 feet while working as a carpenter for South Coast Framing. He suffered neck and back injuries as well as a concussion. His workers' compensation doctor prescribed various drugs including Elevil, Neurontin, and Vicodin. At the same time, his personal doctor prescribes Xanax for anxiety and Ambien, a sleep aid. One morning, Clark's wife was unable to rouse him and he was pronounced dead at the scene. At the time of his death, he had Elevil, Neurontin, Xanax, and Ambien in his blood. The autopsy surgeon concluded the death was best attributed to the combined toxic effects of the four sedating drugs with associated early pneumonia. There was no dispute that Clark died as a result of the combined effects or some of the drugs he took. The dispute, the dispute centered around which drugs played a role, how big that role was, and why the drugs were prescribed. The work comp judge awarded death benefits, finding Clark's death was due to the medications he was taking for his industrial admitted injury. The board adopted the work comp judge's report and denied reconsideration. But the Court of Appeal overturned the award, reasoning there was insufficient evidence that the drugs prescribed for the work injury contributed to the death. The California Supreme Court reversed the Court of Appeal's judgment. The question here was the required nature and strength of the causal link between the industrial injury and death. The Court of Appeal reasoned that, although Ellaville played a role in Clark's death, it was insufficient to prove proximate causation because it was not sufficiently significant or a material factor. But the Supreme Court pointed out that tort law and the workers' compensation system are significantly different. Legal causation in tort law has traditionally required two elements, cause in fact and proximate cause. Tort liability only attaches if the defendant's negligence was a significant or substantial factor in causing injury. In the workers' compensation system, however, the industrial injury need only be a contributing cause to the disability. Case law has recognized the contributing cause standard since the very beginning of the workers' compensation scheme. Death attributable to both industrial causes and non-industrial causes may support a death claim, and industrial causation has been shown in an array of scenarios where a work injury contributes to a subsequent non-industrial injury. Substantial evidence supported the work comp judge's finding that Elevil and Vicodin prescribed for Clark's industrial injury contributed to his death. The California WCAB claimed jurisdiction over New York State Insurance Fund in several consolidated cases between former players and the New York Giants. 
In that case, the Giants sought reimbursement for defense costs and indemnity expenses incurred as a result of the workers' compensation claims filed by the former players. The arbitrator found that there was a contract of workers' compensation insurance between the New York State Fund and the Giants that requires it to indemnify the Giants for any benefits awarded and to provide a defense to the claims. The arbitrator also found that the New York State Fund does not have a valid claim of sovereign immunity with respect to these claims. Thus, the arbitrator ordered the New York State Fund to indemnify the Giants for legal expenses and costs and to indemnify the Giants against any award made in favor of its former employees. The WCAB denied the New York State Fund's petition for reconsideration and affirmed the arbitrator's award in the panel decision of Larry Watkins and others versus New York State Insurance Fund. The WCAB noted that during the time the insurance coverage was in effect, approximately one-half of the Giants' games were away games that were played on the opponent's home fields outside of New York. All home games, two full seasons worth, were played at the Giants' newly built stadium located at the Meadowlands Sports Complex in East Rutherford, New Jersey. This is also where the team was headquartered and the players practiced and trained. The New York State Insurance Fund contends that it was created under New York law and has sovereign immunity from suit in California, and that the New York statutes preclude it from defending or paying claims for workers' compensation filed outside of New York for injuries sustained outside of New York. It further contains contends that it is not authorized to write insurance in California and that the decision of the arbitrators is not supported by the evidence and that the limited connections between the consolidated cases at issue and the state of California does not support WCAB jurisdiction over the claims. But the WCAB noted that coverage B of the policy provides that the fund will indemnify the Giants against loss for damages on account of injuries to employees wherever such injuries may be sustained. There was no evidence of any limitation or exclusion from the coverage B provisions. In the absence of any such limiting or exclusionary language, Coverage B supports the arbitrator's determination that the New York State Insurance Fund provided insurance coverage for injuries sustained by the Giants' employees outside of New York and for claims filed in other states. The language of an insurance policy must be clear in describing exclusions and limitations on coverage. The Court of Appeal reviewed the applicability of an arbitration clause in a workers' compensation insurance producer's suit against a carrier for alleged boycotting. In this case, the plaintiff, HCF Insurance Agency, provides brokerage and agency services for casualty, accident, health, property, life, and surplus lines of insurance. It is a California corporation with its principal place of business in Los Angeles. Schomer Insurance Agency and InterCare Specialty Risk Services are in direct competition in the insurance market in the greater Los Angeles area. 
They specialize in brokering workers' compensation policies for extended care facilities. The defendant, Patriot Underwriters, had a sub-producer agreement with InterCare Specialty Risk Services and Schomer Insurance Agency. Patriot is a program administrator and managing general underwriting servicing regional and national workers' compensation insurance carriers. It specializes in the creation and management of new individual agency or group captive insurers for workers' compensation. A captive insurer is a dedicated in-house subsidiary entity which provides insurance to its owner, a parent corporation. The parent corporation pays premiums to the captive insurer rather than an outside firm to insure some business risks. The captive insurer reinvests the premiums it receives and then pays claims by drawing on the principal and return on its investment. Captive insurers can lower costs and facilitate coverage for certain hard-to-insure risks that traditional carriers may not underwrite. In 2012, Patriot considered entering into a business relationship with the plaintiff HCF Insurance Agency. The enterprise was to involve healthcare-based workers' compensation business. Ultimately, the effort resulted in litigation between the parties after a convoluted series of events. The plaintiff, HCF Insurance Agency, alleged multiple causes of action against Patriot Underwriters and other parties, including breach of contract, breach of the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing, fraud, intentional interference with economic advantage, and unlawful group boycott in violation of business and professions code provisions known as the Cartwright Act. Patriot moved to compel arbitration of this entire lawsuit pursuant to the agreement signed by the parties. But the trial court ordered arbitration as to the contract and implied covenant breach claims because those two causes of action were within the scope of the arbitration agreement. But the trial court denied the arbitration petition as to the fraud and intentional interference with economic advantage causes of action because those two claims did not fall within the scope of the arbitration clause. The trial court also denied the arbitration petition as to Cartwright Act claims because the group boycott claim involved an important public policy because it is California's antitrust statute. The defendant, Patriot, was unhappy with the trial court result and appealed and the trial court was affirmed in the unpublished case of HCF Insurance Agency versus Patriot Underwriters. It ruled that the trial court correctly resolved the disputed claims for intentional tort that did not fall within the scope of the arbitration agreement. The trial court also denied the arbitration petition as to the Cartwright cause of action. The application of the arbitration clauses Florida choice of law provisions prevented the plaintiff from securing the relief it requested. The trial court found the group boycott claim involved an important public policy because it is California's antitrust statute. After review of Florida, California, and federal law, the Court of Appeal agreed and affirmed the order. And now our fraud report. 
The former owner of a Los Angeles-based medical supply company was sentenced to seven years in prison for his role in a fraud scheme that resulted in $3.3 million in fraudulent claims. 55-year-old Hakop Gambayan of East Hollywood was convicted following a jury trial on four counts of health care fraud. In addition to the prison sentence, the U.S. District Court judge ordered Gambarian to pay nearly $2 million in restitution. The trial court evidence showed that the former owner of a durable medical equipment supply company fraudulently billed for DMEs such as expensive power wheelchairs that were not medically necessary. Gambrayan paid cash kickbacks to medical clinics for fraudulent prescriptions, then used these prescriptions to bill Medicare for the unnecessary equipment. He personally delivered power wheelchairs to many beneficiaries who he observed were able to walk without assistance. Gambarian also generated false documentation to support the fraudulent claims, including fake home assessments when no home assessments actually occurred. He also photocopied beneficiaries' signatures hundreds of times to create the appearance that the beneficiaries consented to ongoing equipment rentals when they did not. The case was brought as part of the Medicare Fraud Strike Force under the supervision of the FBI. The strike force is now operating in nine cities across the country and has charged nearly 2,100 defendants who have collectively billed more than $6.5 billion. A registered nurse who owned a medical supply company was sentenced in Los Angeles to four years in federal prison for her role in an $8.3 million Medicare fraud scheme. 42-year-old Olfunki Fadujimi of Carson, California, was convicted by a jury of conspiracy to commit health care fraud, seven counts of health care fraud, and one count of money laundering. In addition to the prison term, she was ordered to pay more than $4 million in restitution. She was a registered nurse and the former owner of Lutemi Medical Supply. The evidence specifically showed that she paid cash kickbacks to patient recruiters in exchange for patient referrals and additional kickbacks to physicians for fraudulent prescriptions for medically unnecessary DME, such as these power wheelchairs. The case was also brought as part of the Medicare Fraud Strike Force. Medical treatment in the California workers' compensation system now requires that the treatment pass the scrutiny of evidence-based medicine, which means that scientific studies should support the safety and efficacy of the requested care. That might seem like a straightforward process, but false positives and exaggerated results in peer-reviewed scientific studies have reached epidemic proportions in recent years. The problem is rampant in economics, the social sciences, and even the natural sciences, but it is particularly egregious in biomedicine. Many studies that claim some drug or treatment is beneficial have turned out to not be true. Examples are conflicting findings about beta-carotene, vitamin E, hormone treatments, Vioxx, and Avandia. Even when effects are genuine, their true magnitude is often smaller than originally claimed. 
The problem begins with the public's rising expectations of science. But adequate safeguards against bias are lacking. Research is fragmented, competition is fierce, and emphasis is often given to single studies instead of the big picture. And much research is conducted for reasons other than the pursuit of truth. Conflicts of interest abound and they influence outcomes. In healthcare, research is often performed at the behest of companies that have a large financial stake in the results. Even for academics, success often hinges on publishing positive findings that may affect funding, academic careers, and market shares. Industry tailors research agendas to suit its needs, which also shapes academic priorities, journal revenue, and even public funding. Many scientists engage in high-stakes research will refuse to make thorough disclosures. Much essential research has already been abandoned to the pharmaceutical and biomedical device industries, which may sometimes design and report studies in ways most favorable to their products. Experts say this is an embarrassment. Increased investment in evidence-based clinical and population research, for instance, should be designed not by industry but by scientists free of material conflicts of interest. Eventually, findings that bear on treatment decisions and policies should come with a disclosure of any uncertainty that surrounds them. It is fully acceptable for patients and physicians to follow a treatment based on information that has a minimal percent chance of being correct. And in regulatory news, regulatory officials are questioning if insured PEOs with large deductibles might be a growing problem or even a ticking time bomb. As a result of Labor Code Section 3701.9 was added in 2012 as part of SB 863. This provision prohibits temporary employment agencies from self-insuring their workers' compensation liability. These entities that were self-insured in 2012 when SB 863 was passed had to become insured by January 1, 2015. But now, Lumberman's Underwriting Alliance, which issued large deductible workers' compensation plans for professional employer organizations, has been put into rehabilitation by the Missouri Department of Insurance. The carrier specializes in providing property and casualty insurance to the forest products industry, generally consisting of lumber and sawmill operations. Over time, Lumberman's expanded its offerings to a broader range of industries and insurance coverages. By 2014, it was also issuing large deductible workers' compensation plans for professional employer organizations, or PEOs. Lumberman's faced financial difficulty when one of its largest PEO insureds, TS Employment failed to fully fund collateral obligations and filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The bankruptcy filing listed the IRS as a creditor with $95.2 million in taxes owed. Corporate Resource Services is TS Employment's only client and ranks as the 22nd largest U.S. staffing firm based on 2013 revenue. TS has up to 30,000 employees for which it processes payroll. 
Lumberman's CEO assured the market that the company was committed to remaining accessible and responsive to policyholders during this voluntary supervision period and beyond. Rehabilitation is a legal step taken by the court to protect policyholders by preserving the company's assets. The move allows a receiver to take over operations of the company and attempt to correct existing problems, continue operations, maintain policyholder accounting, and develop a plan of rehabilitation, or the receiver will petition the court for liquidation. Policies will continue pursuant to their terms and conditions, and policyholders must continue making premium payments to keep insurance coverage intact. Lumberman's is based in Florida and had approximately 3,000 policyholders and 6,080 open workers' compensation claims with the largest number of claims in California. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health has awarded a grant of nearly $200,000 per year to the Department of Industrial Relations and the California Department of Public Health for a workers' compensation research project. California was one of two states chosen nationwide for this renewable three-year grant to examine workers' compensation claims data for injury and illness findings. The grant will facilitate combining this data to related data sources for better identification of occupations and industries with the highest rates of injury and to develop recommendations for workplace interventions. The DIR director, Christine Baker, said she was pleased that NIOSH has acknowledged and recognized the DIR's ongoing commitment to job safety. This dual agency collaborative effort will further clarify key indicators to prevent workplace illnesses and injuries. In the past, occupational injury and illness research relied on data not normally utilized for public health purposes. The California Workers' Compensation Surveillance Project is intended to enhance the usage of existing workers' compensation data to survey, collect, analyze, and interpret health-related information for supporting public health programs and services. This includes identifying and analyzing trends, emerging issues, high-risk occupations and industries, and other worker populations and combining and summarizing data from workers' compensation claims with other sources that have a common denominator, as well as developing recommendations for workplace interventions, and then creating an electronic public access work comp case data set for further analysis. Dusty Overpeck, the administrative director of the Division of Workers' Compensation, said, the project will help supplement policy changes, including important health and safety regulations. The information will be used by public health practitioners, organized labor, community-based organizations, government officials, and other stakeholders. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. 
Thanks for having joined us today, and please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.